No, I mean, architecture is political. We gotta, we gotta add that stuff. Indeed. We are tearing down communities to build multifamily and you have to understand we are creating displacement. You're displacing black and brown folks and they don't come back. Half of this podcast would be dedicated to the history of Tyler House, my journey and my discoveries. And hey, I'm going to solve this housing problem. Hey guys, what's up? My name is Melissa Daniels. This is the Architectural's Political Podcast where black and brown folks talk about architecture. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and be part of my storytelling. The great designer, Wandile Tiane, is an Obama leader, lecturer, TEDx fellow, revolution fellow, dynamic speaker, social entrepreneur, and the founder of Mbatu Design Group which is an architectural and microfinance organization that that focuses on social impact design projects in housing and urban design. He got his MARC at Andrews University in Michigan. And let me tell you, this guy's well-documented. He is everywhere. I would need a separate webpage to dedicate to him of all the videos, all of the podcasts, speaking engagements, social media posts, what else? Magazine or online digital articles. He's international. If you haven't heard of him, you just heard of him. So my approach to interviewing him, first of all, it's short. And we just ran out of time. It was like some technical issues in the beginning. So I do apologize for that. But I really wish I could dig a little deeper in some of the topics that we talked about one of the things that I, I love to ask people who work in this space, who have been discriminated against is, how's your mental health? How was that doing? We got into that. He also did a, a very inspiring talk in, in Dublin, again, linked in the show notes. There's this great article from Archetizer on him and it's titled, From Houses to Hot Dogs. The anti-racist hot dog, which is a product that he has on his website. And there's a clip of the actual news about the anti-racist hot dog and what he experienced that inspired him to come up with a deck of cards. I encourage you to watch it, read it, just to get some background on it. But essentially a, a brief very brief summary is that when he was back home in South Africa, he went into a restaurant he was basically discriminated against and that did not sit well. And what he did was he took lemons and he made lemonade to go with his anti-racist hot dog. Again, check it out and understand the story. It gives a background of the anti-racist hot dog that he started. I would normally let the guests tell you the story and all of this stuff. But again, because he's so well documented, you could literally look him up and listen to his story. And this time around, I wanted to just focus on just some burning questions I had. And unfortunately, there was one question that he gets asked all the time about. And I was like, don't. Why did I not know this? About Juan Delight is he has this infectious laugh. Like in every interview I've listened to, he's laughing. He's enjoying himself. He had this spark ever since, ever since. Like, I think he's just born with this spark. He's also born with this entrepreneurship. Something that I 
I don't have, or, you know, I may have it, but I think I'm afraid to tap into it. But that's, <laughs> that's a whole different story. Don't forget to check out the show notes. I posted some links about him as well as for you guys to just get an overall sense of who he is if you don't know who he is already. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'm looking forward to talking to him in depth in the future. So here you go. Wandile, you are famous, sir. You did one in Dublin recently. And I was like, okay, I will try to listen to this. I did not. Did you watch the Dublin one? I was trying to watch it, but I was driving. You know, when they ask Denzel Washington, like, what's your best movie? And he says the next one. I think I peaked in Dublin. What made it great? I was like in my element. I was myself. The preparation was the most challenging. So the talk was the most rewarding. I had to tap into my own journey with education because I was talking to like educators, the International Bachelorette, which is like a education curriculum, mostly for private schools around the world. Mm -hmm. And the premise of my talk was the role that educators play in shaping our lives. And I was like, yo, I don't think you'll realize how much impact you have. And I started by quizzing them and asking them, like, okay, how many of you remember your favorite teacher? I remember that. How many of you remember a teacher who said or did something mean to you? There is a, and then I was like, how many of you have brought up a teacher who said or did something mean to you during your therapy sessions? And a lot of hands went up. And I was like, yo, the things you do or don't do drastically shapes the trajectory of the world because these students either carry the wounds or the tools to go and make an impact. So I had to tap into my own experience of all the teachers who I'm either carrying their wounds or that have equipped me with the tools to do what I'm doing today. But yeah, it's like a very personal journey. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I know for when I do this podcast, it's kind of like a therapy session almost every single time. And I assume that that when you go out to present, you have good sessions and you have not so great sessions, ends up being, you're reflecting on yourself and all that. Yeah, I am. I am. I am. I am. That one pushed me to, to the, it wasn't like architecture because when you've done some, like the Noma talk, I hope it was good. You know, you'd be the judge of that, but I've done so many talks. And I work in architecture that I could wake up and do it, <laughs> right? So that's different from where you have to sort of apply yourself into a very different field and do a reflection. And as you said, there's a lot of constant about me online and not make it a trailer about you, mm. but make it a, a gift that people can take back to their home. There are people from Hungary, from countries I've only read about, right? would fill this arena in Dublin to come listen to me. Number one, I don't know why they did that, but I'm honored that they would. I could have just sent them an email. But since they're here, I need to make the most out of that experience and make sure that they really can leave with something memorable, but also something actionable that they can then take to their schools and to their communities and to their families and transform them. You deal with a space that is you don't see well when white folks talk about racism and back 
I shouldn't say back in the day because they still do it, but it's their perspective is an outsider looking in. And when we as Black people talk about racism, it's through experience. So, Juan Dele, how is your mental health? You said mm. that it's kind of automatic, right? Like when you go in front of these architecture professionals. Stuff, yeah. I mean, there's still effort and prep, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and I'm not, I'm not like... Vanilla before vanilla. people start getting mad at Noma, like, oh, you didn't prep. I prep, but a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. You did your due diligence and you, we loved you there. I think there was, there was clapping at the end. I remember. And the white hands. The, it was clapping. Yes. No, I'm saying the white hands that were raised. Yes. That important metric. How was your mental health? When talking about race. So just in case someone cut that, like he said, there are white hands that were raised. And that's an important metric. Within the context of having a conversation about race, there's often very, a lot of silence from that particular group of people. Which doesn't help us because then you're just preaching to the choir. They're in the room, though. That's not enough. The thing about race is, I think racism will be will end the day we have like white Martin Luther King, etc. One, but also it's better for someone to say something that comes across as racist, so we know, than for them to keep quiet in that room, live more aggravated or miss the point, and then go and pass that down in their hiring, in how they manage their workplace, et cetera. What I'm saying is like, it costs us more as people of color and as black people when white people are quiet about their biases. <laughs> we would rather have them say it <laughs> so that at least we can challenge that and engage. That's my thing. Now, how is my mental health? It's better now. I'm working with a, a famous South African ceramic artist. One of the pieces we're working on is for like Alicia Keys giant. I intentionally came here because I wanted to, I think architecture can be very rigid at times and like architecture school is very rigorous. I fell in the hole where I felt like I was doing architecture to impress other architects to prove a point that like, you know what I mean? Like I know what I'm doing, which is what you do in architecture school. You're impressing the architecture panelists every two weeks. So I lost my voice and who I am and, and, and the love and the fun and, and no one is in touch with who they are as artists are. And so I'm here to work with artists and, and make stuff and go back to the why and, and learn new forms and have fun again. That's helping my mental health. Was that intentional or it just kind of happened? Yeah. Okay. It was intentional. I may have broken up with someone's daughter a week or so ago. And I was like, you know what? This is time to now plunge myself into to this art and, <laughs> and craftsmanship. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think I've always wanted to do, but I think I had a push now to like really focus on. My goal right now is just like get out of my ways, begin all over again. And as I'm like doing the, the stuff and I'm like, it's not looking even. They're like, yo, that's part of the beauty of the journey. I'm so used to this structure and perfectionism, you know what I mean? So I'm here to unlearn all that and learn to be free again. 
Hmm. In it. So how we met is through Rosa Shang. Well, I should say she she told me like, hey, the the Jedi committee has a thing. You want to do it? And I, no matter what she asks me to do, I will always say yes. So I said yes. And this is the, I want to say it's the seed or you were experiment or like you, this is where I want to say it was the birth of the anti-racist hot dog. Because the early days. Right. It hasn't come out yet. And I, I felt like we were the experiment to see what uh, the, the, uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the kinks and the feedback and yeah i remember that and i took that call at yale we were, oh, we were having our first anti-racist hot dog party at yale that day right after that call how was the party the party was amazing and i met some good old friends from my ais days mm. i used to be like a president for andrews which side note this shows that you don't wake up and become a leader that joint is built over time that's what I saw when I went to Yale. Yeah. So that's how we met. And again, you've done a gazillion podcasts, speaking engagements and all that stuff. And you probably addressed this question. But as I was like thinking about the anti-racist hot dog, I was like, why a hot dog? That's so American. Like, how does the. Yeah. Like, why a hot dog? I got that question a lot and some people were mad at me like it's such a follicle male food I was like man that's a little deeper than I thought about it <laughs> no it's it's a hot dog because regardless of where you're at I think it's still one of the most accessible food ever it's a common denominator and the concept was food and hot dog was the vehicle used because of its accessibility and still lovability, whether you are a CEO in New York or you're a homeless person, we all somehow find a way to enjoy some form of hot dogs. And the idea is that we disagree on a lot of things as people, but the one thing that we do agree on is food. It seems like we've got that right. You can hate Mexicans and still love Taco Tuesday, which is random, but and then it's like, well, how about we go back to food and ingredients and learn how we can be so inclusive in food and yet so discriminatory in person or in like our human interactions. So that's the concept around the anti-racist hot dog. Why, when you were in secondary school and you were trying to figure out going to college and you end up going to Andrews, why did you pick the US? Why not the UK? That's a good question. Yo, you did your research and South Africa was colonized by the UK. So that would make more logical sense too, right? Look, I had a plan on what I wanted to do since I was 12. Grew up in an informal settlement, so a shanty town and different neighborhoods. And I wanted to grow up and be a businessman because it's the only terminology I knew and help design and build the homes, dignified homes, because I realized the need from that young age, like without a dignified home, you don't have a physical address, without a physical address, you don't have money. Without money, you can't build a home. Cycle of poverty. Without a home, you don't have a space to do homework, which is something I struggle with. And so it affects education. Without a home, you don't have, you know, like moist can come through and sip through the mud brick walls, leading to sickness and asthma, affects healthcare. My young age, I could see that maybe we should build dignified homes. 
for black people as well, not just for the white folks on the other side of the tracks in South Africa. Grew up in a church, Seventh-day Adventist church. Through the church, I heard about the high school that I went to in Zimbabwe, which is a different kind. That was a leap by itself. And then I had also heard about the university. 12 years old, I knew that I was going to go to high school. In high school, I studied building. So before I studied architecture, I took four years of bricklaying, right? And then when I went to college in, in America, I was going to study an architect. Anyone who went to high school with me knew I was going to be an architect. <laughs> and obviously everyone uh, went to college. So it, in a weird way, and then I started Ubuntu Design Group in college and then came back and built those homes. Literally, I had a plan at 12 and sort of kind of lived through it and then fin- quote unquote finish it and haven't solved the housing crisis or anything like that. But what that did was it then plunged me into a midlife crisis where, well, not a midlife, a quarter life crisis, like, okay, what's next now? So that explains also why I did architecture and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So what's funny about that is that that religious institution believes in sort of like health and my high school was vegetarian <laughs> and my college was also vegetarian and I am vegetarian. So that's a very random addition to that Wait, story. You're, you're a vegetarian? I am. The first black vegetarian. I care about representation. And it's a hot dog. Right. That's what makes it even funny. Well, it's a hot dog, but then there's vegan dogs, there's kosher, there's halal. And that's our whole thing. Like, how do we make our whole thing is about accessibility where everyone finds themselves and they can belong, whether it's in the workplace, in their community, in schools, etc. So yeah, it is a little ironic that the founder of the anti-racist hot dog actually doesn't eat the real hot dogs. It's what some call the nut dogs. But what I'm saying is that the nut dogs are as important as the hot dogs, are important as the kosher dogs, which are as important as the halal dogs. Yeah. As he put two hands up. 100%. Do you still practice? As a hobby, yes. As a hobby right now, it may change. Look, and I think I expressed this on my, um, when we were at that thing, and I'm jaded by architecture with Rosa and stuff, and I didn't mean it in like a bad way. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the trajectory that we're headed as a profession is sustainable. It's not. Not even on like a race perspective, just like on a financial perspective. Even the top architects that we revere, are built at the expense of impoverishing young designers. So there's clearly something broken, something fundamentally wrong. So I'm not interested in the current model of things, but I'm talking to banks about creating a micro mortgage model, going back to that. And the idea is that like you go to a bank's website, you select a home, customize the design in a certain way, you put in your credit score, it auto generates what that building loan would look like and your monthly payments, et cetera. If you like that, we send it for pre You send it for approval by the bank. The bank approves. Within two weeks, we start building and you just pay the monthly installment. And a lot of young professionals can actually afford that. What they don't afford is that 20% down payment or that 15, like in South Africa, you have to come to the bank with approved plans. And then they just pay for the building and, and, and the contractor. 
So I'm like, how are you going to get that 10 to 15%? So we take care of all of that. So that's a new model that I'm working on. So using technology, being interested in scale and being interested in solving that initial problem, which is housing for young professionals, for low income and for low income communities. So I'm rethinking architecture, but I'm also rethinking because for me, architecture is not important. It has never been. Architecture has always been the vehicle by which I can help my community. So the current model of it does not serve that purpose. So I'm reinventing in that right now. And I may do like an artist gallery joint for my friends who are artists here as well. But again, so architecture is more of a hobby and a means to an end, which the end is providing dignified, affordable housing for people of low income means and people that look like me. And this is internationally. Like when you said that architecture, the feel of architecture is broken. Because I feel it here. It's everywhere, right? <laughs> but we do such a great job in holding up a facade. My God. That people think we're rich and people think that we're doing well. And we have such a great social status at dinner parties, which I will take. But we also really need to figure out our shit and, and figure this out. We almost need to do what SAG did, where we stop. <laughs> I just like say, hey, this is what we're worth. This is how we yeah, like, just like transform the industry though. We're not unified though, so it won't work. That's the problem. Also, if we do that, then the draftsman will start building. <laughs> we're just kind of like, we're, we're, we're replaceable. Yeah, so there's, there's a problem and I don't think I'm the Mandela to, to solve that problem. So I'm finding alternative ways <laughs> to pivot. Well, you think it's the leader. Who you think can or has the power to bring change? Or is it is it just a little random incident that'll just bring about the change? No, it has to be intentional. People like us need to stand up. Normally I would because I'm always out here fighting, but I have a lot on my plate. But I think, you know, institutions like Noma are positioned to potentially lead in dialogues like that. And no hate on Noma or its leadership. I love those people, etc. But they can't do that because they're also funded by the firms who are keeping the status quo and the leaders work for them. And it has to be outside of traditional institutions. It has to be a grassroots movement. What did you think of Noma? Well, I enjoyed the conference. I had 500 of y'all show up to my talk and it was sold out two months before. So I was like, hey, shout out. Architects don't like me. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed meeting folks. Yeah, like so many great people who are fighting and I've been on panels with the different things, but we never met with it. So I really enjoyed that. It was enriching. Hmm. Was this your first one? First one, yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. Sometimes they don't have not so good ones, but this was a good one. Yeah, I think, I mean, like, if y'all were to make me no more prison, which I'm not running, this is a joke. We would protest and transform the industry. Burn it down. Burn it down. Right, that's why I'm not. That's why I'm not on the ballot. Last words. We gonna be any upcoming I'm actually like upcoming event, holiday season, sir. See, I'm doing healing arts out here in Cape Town. I'm with Michelle Obama. I'm interviewing Michelle Obama on the sixteenth here in Cape Town. She's coming down. And then I'm flying to Johannesburg to speak at a real estate summit with that bank that we're trying to reinvent housing with. And then I will go 
So the home that I designed where my mom grew up in, it's very European and classical in design, but that's what they wanted. I'll be out there for a little bit. There's nothing like living in a house that you made. It's crazy. I'll be out there for a little bit and then I'll go to Durban and hang out with my DJ friends for New Year's Eve. We did the soundtrack for Black Panther. And I may be speaking at the AIS conference in New Orleans, 4th to 7th, and then I'll be in New York, back to New York after that. And I've started something called Grind Tea that helps women and people of color find workplaces where they are valued. So women who are currently in and who are currently working or who work there will rate their workplace so that other women are in between jobs or recent graduates can make an informed decision about where they're going to work. And since this is like an in-house podcast for us, by us, I'll say the real reason why I created this platform. I don't think architecture firms will change, but we can protect each other and send each other to the workplaces where they are truly investing in inclusion. And it's only us who know where those are. The idea is that all the top talent goes to the architecture firms that are inclusive. The ones who aren't are disincentivized. It starts hurting their pockets and they are formed to drop. They are forced to transform. And that's really the only way I see change happening. Thank you, Wadile. You've been awesome. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. I really enjoyed talking to you at the summit. I enjoyed talking to you now. And I would really love to to do another session where we do a deep dive on some of the other things that we didn't get to talk about today. Yeah. Tell Michelle I said hi. I got you. She's here. She's coming here. No shade. She's coming here to talk about ending child marriage. So let's end child marriage first and then I'll, I'll let her know you said hi. Okay. And I support that. Yeah. The point is I'll be with Michelle Obama because I am a proud Obama fan. Me too. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank Yo, you. Beautiful day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Architecture's Political Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it informative or at least entertaining. If you like what you heard, please share with others. You can also connect with Arcus Polly on social media, currently on Instagram as well as Facebook and Twitter. If for more information, visit us on our website. It's arcuspolly.online. A-R-C-H-I-P-O-L-L-Y dot online. I also want to thank our loyal supporters who have been with this podcast for at least three years. It means the world to me, and I'm totally grateful to have you part of this community. I will try to bring you the best content as possible, and I can't wait to share more amazing episodes with you. If this is your first time listening or just like a particular episode, or all of them. You can support this podcast by going on glow.fm slash Again, thank you for your support. It means the world to me. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>